Hello and welcome to episode 83 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host, Corinne Nidja, and this podcast is where I talk about people's incredible recovery stories after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. People have been on this show and recovered from type 2 diabetes, multiple sclerosis, heart disease, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, rheumatoid arthritis, which I always find impossible to say, osteoarthritis. We've had just lupus, so many, so many conditions, IBS. And today's episode is with Emily Sonsi, and she is going to be talking all about her recovery from polycystic ovarian syndrome as well as IBS and Emily was an absolute joy to speak to um I was in a very excitable mood when we recorded this so if wet dog Corinne who is super excited and running around no I'm, I'm not that bad but yeah I was very excited it was lovely talking to Emily it's always Fun to just banter about the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet on our health, on the animals and on the planet. And we did just that. It was really, really fun. Today, I hosted a really fun whole food plant-based cooking class here in the Dandenong Ranges in Tacoma at the Uniting Church and had such a great group of people come and we made some delicious food, hummus, bliss balls, biscuits, sushi, tortilla chips. Um, we made just an ice cream. It was so fun. We ate, we laughed, we talked. It was great. Please, any of, I'll be hosting one again soon, so please hit me up if you'd like to come along and I will let you know when the next one's on. If you haven't subscribed to my mailing list, you can over at my website and that's where you'll find out when the next cooking class is on for sure. You get recipes and email. There's a free menu plan over there too if you sign up to the email and it's a four-week menu meal plan and my one of my friends lost 12 kilos when he was doing it so well it was over he did it over 12 weeks but that's when he how he lost it but anyway everyone's had great weight loss results who wanted to lose weight where with that meal plan so that's an added bonus for signing up and you can also learn about when the cooking classes are on via my Corinne Nidja Facebook page and the plant-based and thriving Facebook group. At the end is the end symbol. If you want to join that too, and if you have haven't yet subscribed to this podcast, I put out new episodes every week on a Monday slash Tuesday. I am so grateful to everyone who has headed over to Apple Podcasts, which was iTunes, and left a lovely review of this podcast and everyone who has left a five-star rating because as I mentioned every week it really helps this podcast to reach more people and that is what the purpose of this podcast is and I don't know if this is your first time listening but I was talking today to the people who came along to the cooking class about myself and my journey and I was talking to my parents recently because you know, I'm kind of the annoying family member who's always banging on about whole food plant-based living whenever anyone says anything about their aches and pains or their ailments. I'm like, you know, what's good for that? A whole food plant-based diet. And now everyone just laughs and I just say it as a joke. But I was thinking about it and I was thinking about 
you know, my life and why this is so important to me and why getting this podcast out and the book is so important to me is because from my life, I my brother was sick until I was four years old. He was having constant issues with incontinence and soiling himself and falling over. And my mum was in in constant worry about what was wrong with him, what was going on. And then when I was four, they diagnosed him with muscular dystrophy and our lives were turned upside down and we were told that he only had six years to live. He was diagnosed when he was nine and they said he would be dead by the time he was 15. So my whole life has been about watching people suffer and watching people that I love suffer and, you know, watching him suffer and die, someone who I loved more than anything. And then when I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, knowing that my journey, most people's journey with multiple sclerosis is, is, is quite similar to my brother's, as in decreasing mobility, increased reliance on physical aids to get around mobility aids, reliance on caregivers, reliance on support, external support, and eventually possibly you know, wheelchairs, respite, residential care, all those types of things. And I, you know, I watched my parents hold my brother. I held my, my brother myself as he died. And it was the worst suffering watching them lose their son and for me to lose my sibling. And if, I can, if this podcast can spare anyone from going through what my family went through, because no one should watch someone that they love so desperately die and suffer so tremendously, especially when most of the conditions, like not muscular dystrophy is a genetic disease. There was no, like a whole food plant-based diet may have improved the quality of Brett's life, but it, it wasn't going to save his life. But type 2 diabetes, heart disease, many forms of cancer, multiple sclerosis, as in relapsing remitting, Hashimoto's, lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, osteoarthritis, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, people are losing their lives. People are losing their bowels. People are losing their continence, their mobility, their eyesight. They're, they're suffering and their families are going along for the ride with them. It's not just them who is being, who's suffering from this chronic disease, which is bad enough. It is their siblings, their mother and father, their friends, everyone suffers when someone's living with chronic disease. Everyone. And yet these are all preventable. Most of them are so preventable. They're lifestyle disease. They are caused by diet. Obviously, stress plays a role too. As Maya, who was on last week's episode, talks about and how we are living a lot in the inner states of high stress and that impacts on our, on our immunity too. But 80% is diet. You know, 80%, you know, every single doctor comes on this show. We hear it time and time and time and time again. If this podcast, if you're supporting this podcast, helps this, these messages reach the people who need to reach it, who are living with chronic disease or who are on their way to being diagnosed with a chronic disease, then the work that I'm doing is worth it. You know, this is all I care about. All I care about, my motive is stopping other families from holding their family member's hand while they slip away from them. You know, for me, it was the worst moment of my entire life was watching him, you know, I was screaming into his face, begging, begging him 
to live, begging him to stay with me, and I couldn't save him. But I might be able to save somebody else's family member. This podcast might be able to save one of your family members or your friends or someone on Facebook. It might be able to save them. And it might be able to stop them from having to suffer what myself and the guests on this show have suffered. To feel so alone, so terrified, so helpless. So I thank all of you, and I know that I'm emotional right now, but this means the, this work means the world to me. This podcast means the world to me because Brett did not have a chance, but so many people listening do. So many people in the world do. So thank you. You'll never know how much it means to me when you share this podcast on social media, online, when you like it, when you rate it, when you support it, when you tell your friends and family about it. It means the world to me because I don't want anyone ever to go through what my family went through. I hope that you are well and that you are listening to this and you are safe in this world and... I'm so very honoured that you have found this podcast and that you are tuning in wherever you are. And back to today's guest after my emotion. <laughs> and my kids are outside needing to come in, so I won't take too much time. But Emily Sonzi is on the show today and she is going to be talking about her experience with irritable bowel syndrome and polycystic ovarian syndrome and her transition to a whole food plant-based diet and raising a f ch young children on a whole food plant-based diet and all her, t and her tips and tricks. Her top tips at the end are really beautiful um, and I know that they will move you. And, yeah, we just go on a bit of a ramble like I like to do because this is my favourite topic. So this is my platform. This is my podcast. I get to rant about my favourite topic with my guests. So I hope that you enjoy it too. I talk about a lot of different things in this episode. So thank you all so much for listening and I will see you at the end. Enjoy the show. <laughs> Hello, Emily, and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. I've already given you a little introduction at the beginning of the show. Uh, so if you just want to launch into your story, I would be thrilled and I'm sure everybody else would love, is looking forward to hearing your story. Excellent. So I suppose we'll go back to the very beginning and little 16-year-old me uh, developed a bit of an eating disorder. It was a really challenging time for myself and for my family. What was your eating disorder? Um, so I had, it was a bit of a mix, to be honest. It wasn't ever formally diagnosed. I didn't end up in hospital, which was, thank goodness, that it didn't get that far. Um, but a mixture between anorexia and then it would develop into a bit of a binge and purge cycle as things went on over the years. So it definitely started with cutting out a lot of food and eliminating a lot of food. I think at the very beginning, it stemmed from wanting to be really healthy. And I think at the start... When I look back at what I was doing, it was all about trying to be healthy and well. But then the thinner I got, the more comments that I was given, and it just perpetuated this this eating disorder, and it formed, and it was very, very difficult for me to break out of. And I ended up getting down to quite a thin weight, but never wasn't hospitalized, thank goodness. And I think I was able to 
disguise a lot of what was going on mentally with the exercise that I was doing. So a lot of people just thought that I was really healthy and was on a health kick and they couldn't see what was going on in my mind, which was a bit of a a nightmare at that time. And that tended to stay on for a, a lot longer than the physical signs of any form of eating disorder did. So I ended up injuring myself, which meant that I couldn't exercise there for a while and I started gaining weight. So I think people around me thought that I was fixed and that it wasn't a problem anymore and that could not have been further from the truth and that ended up developing into a binge and a purge cycle and then when I broke out of that, I was just left with a very big negative, very negative relationship towards food and it completely consumed my thoughts all the time and I was always looking for the next diet that would that would fix me and would make me feel happy and complete and the way that I wanted to be. And I've tried, I tried everything, you name it, paleo, I was on lemon detox, calorie counting, skinny me tea, all the things that you don't want to admit you did. That's what I did. And I was very heavily into the gym there as well for a few years. I still really love the gym. Um, but going along with that was the, the gym diet of chicken and broccoli and rice and protein shakes. And if it had protein in it, I was eating it. And I think the gym was really great in the sense that it taught me that I had to eat to fuel my body. I couldn't train if I wasn't eating, but it definitely didn't allow me to overcome any negative relationship that I had with food because I was very strictly counting and very, um, always examining what was in the food before I would put it in my body and not going a calorie over or a macro over in any areas. So that was a lot of going on in the mental state of things. And then physically, I had a lot of IBS symptoms, so bloating all the time, insane cramping going on. I lost count about the amount of times I would go to sleep just holding my stomach, waiting for this pain to subside. And I would just have to sleep it off and then hope that whatever caused it wouldn't come back again the next day. I would either be going to the toilet a lot or not going to the toilet at all. And it just wasn't not a fun place to be. So physically, we had a lot going on and mentally, there was a lot going on too. And I think it all really came to to a head when my husband and I wanted to start having make a family and start trying for a baby and I went off the pill which I'd been on for many years and my period never came back and I hadn't actually had my period when I was on the pill for many years either and I'd spoken to doctors about that constantly and they'd always said that it was fine it was just the pill and don't worry about it it'll be okay and I wish that I'd listened to my gut more but I think we're we're ingrained to trust the doctors. They're the educated ones. They're the trusted ones. But as you know, and I know now that they, they know so much of so much, you know, so little of so much, sorry. And they, they can't know everything. They don't know a lot about nutrition. They don't know a lot about women's health. They just know surface level. So I'm sure what they thought they were telling me was the right thing to be telling me, but it really wasn't. And I should have done something about this sooner. So basically having a baby wasn't going to be an option at that point in time because I went and got an ultrasound and it revealed that I had polycystic ovaries. And I still remember that moment getting the ultrasound done. I knew there was something really wrong and I felt my whole whole world 
pulled out from underneath me because becoming a mum was a very large part of my identity. That's something that we always wanted to do. It's something that I always envisioned happening for me and the very real fear of that no longer being a possibility had presented itself. And that was very, very scary. And we embarked on our own fertility journey. Um, and we didn't have to go through IVF in the end, which was really thankful. And it only took us eight months. So on paper and compared to other people's stories, it's not as maybe dramatic as it seems, but stress is stress. And for me that those eight months were some, were the darkest time of my life. And I don't, I do not know how we got through it. I think it's probably a testament to our relationship of how we got through it, but it was really, really challenging and really difficult to acknowledge what was going on properly. So we finally fell pregnant with our son, Hunter, who's nearly two now, which is very exciting. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And he is the light of everyone's life. He is, I'm a little biased, but he's very beautiful and very gorgeous. And he just makes every day an absolute dream. But when I had him and I held him in my arms and I saw him for the first time, it was this wake-up call that I needed that I needed to be mentally and physically the best version of myself so I could be the best mom for him. And I wanted him to have such an amazing role model in his life and someone he could look after. I didn't want him to have a mom that was weighing herself every day and was counting her food and was feeling uncomfortable and couldn't pick him up. And I definitely couldn't breastfeed him comfortably if I was having these IBS symptoms that kept um, popping up all the time. So I started researching and looking into ways of healing my body and I came across the holy grail of a plant-based diet and there embarked a good couple months of maternity leave at the start watching and listening and learning to everything possible about plant-based eating and plant-based diet and what it does for our bodies and the environment and the animals and my whole world was shifted and turned upside down. I couldn't believe I didn't know this information before. And I, uh, when he was about two, two and a half months, I fully transitioned myself to a plant-based diet and basically everything, everything seemed to fix itself. It was, I couldn't believe what was going on. So all my bloating had gone away. I had so much energy. I think at a time where people assume you to be very low in energy. You know, you have a baby that's waking you up multiple times in a night. He's never, ever been a good sleeper and still isn't. And, you know, you have, you're trying to deal with becoming a mom and taking on so many responsibilities, but I had more energy than I'd ever had before. It was also difficult maybe for other people didn't see that. I've always had, people have always assumed that I've had a lot of energy, but what I've had before is a lot of self-control. So I was getting up for the gym at 5 a.m. my whole life, but that wasn't because I had energy. I wasn't bouncing out of bed. That's because I was disciplined to want to do that. Whereas now when I get out of bed in the morning to go for a run, it is because I have endless energy to burn and I want to be doing that for myself and for my well-being. So it's very different now to how it was back then. Wow. I love that. And I think, you, you know, Emily, your story is is wonderful and I'm so happy for you that you have a beautiful baby boy now but but yeah but one of the things that people talk about over and over again and that you can't really ex- 
express until you feel it, the different feeling, like the different energy levels before and after. For me, you know, I had chronic disease and multiple sclerosis and fibromyalgia and all of those things. If mental fog and the heaviness every single day felt like I was just dragging my heavy body out of out of bed and into the day. As a mother of a, of a young child, the, it's just incredible how much energy you can have once you change your weight. Your ways of eating to a whole food plant-based diet because you, you know, you're fueling yourself with this beautiful, revitalizing, rejuvenating plant foods that give every cell in your body everything it needs to thrive and and feel amazing. And you know, for your son and for yourself, it's so different when you meet other people who aren't on this way of eating as a mum, and they're wrecked because you're wrecked from your baby waking up, you're wrecked from breastfeeding, you're wrecked from delivering a baby and being pregnant and all of those things, not not wrecked as in, you know, but I mean, just tired, exhausted, depleted. And this way of eating is such a gift when in those first few years. And I think the first few years may be like their whole life once you're a mom. <laughs> but, because then the worries and the, ch- the challenges change as they grow. Constantly changing. Yeah. So I, I'm so happy that you found that and get that gift of this energy. Yeah, it was so excellent to come across. And then um, you just mentioned the brain fog. And I didn't even realize that I had that until it had gone away because the mental clarity that I feel now and how I'm just so eager to learn and take on your information and I can handle my emotions better and I have a new sense of calm about me as well. I'm no longer on edge all the time. And I didn't even realize they were issues that I had until they'd gone away. And then I just went, wow. If everyone can feel this good, everyone needs to do this. <laughs> everyone needs to be eating this way. And I think eating this way also was the very beginning of changing my relationship with food. And that was a really big thing for me. I never envisioned a life for me where I wasn't counting calories and I wasn't weighing myself and I wasn't fixated on body image and what I had to be looking like in a um, a standard that I had to be fitting into. And all of a sudden, when I started eating this way every day, a little bit of that just seemed to go. And I know that it coincided with having my son. So there was a lot going on, but I just didn't want to be that person anymore. And food started to not consume my thoughts anymore. And it didn't become the be all and the end all. I just started to think about eating healthy plant food. And that was a really easy thought to process. I am interested one of the reasons why I am really interested to have you on the show is I think a lot of people in the wellness realm get really apprehensive I think is the right word with young women adopting a whole food like what they would call a restrictive whole food plant-based diet and and the potential for them to develop orthorexia as a result and I think a lot of people and even myself included have you know you do become what some people on the outside would say is hyper-focused on on eating and on weighing yourself and on all those kinds of things. And for you, it's interesting Like to hear your – I'd love to hear your thinking about how different it is because it sounds like you did in some ways have something similar to orthorexia as far as your weighing, your focus on food, all those kinds of things, your exercising, all of all of that – how has a whole food, for anyone who's listening, who's thinking like, is this going to lead me down the path of orthorexia? How 
has this way of eating kind of freed you in a way from that hyper-vigilant, hyper-focused behaviour? Yeah, great question. It, it definitely has freed me. I think it's because you can trust wholly in the food. There isn't, there's no way that you have to be conscious about how many fruits or how many vegetables you're eating in your day. They are grown from this earth. They're full of so many nutrients, packed full of so much goodness for you. And you can feel the difference when you eat them that all of a sudden that those consuming thoughts about have I eaten too much, have I not, they seem to dissipate and you just want to be eating to feel well. I found that it's also very difficult to overindulge. You you definitely can overindulge on plant food if you're eating maybe some of the wrong things. But if you're eating a very clean whole food plant-based diet to you feel more satiated after a meal and after you've eaten that beautiful big salad or the fresh fruit in front of you, you're not craving a whole lot more. It seems to have ticked off all the boxes. And on any other diet that I've ever done when I was dabbling in paleo or, or anything else, I was always left wanting more and I never felt, I always felt like I had to control that. And that made me anxious and it made me nervous and it made me want to count calories and it made me want to stick to this regime. Whereas eating this way after every meal, I feel full, not overly full. I just feel satisfied and I feel like if I do want more, I can eat more knowing that it's only doing my body good and my mind good. But if I'm full, that's okay. And that for me took away a lot of that control. I didn't need to be worrying about counting it anymore because I could just trust in the fact that nature had provided me with such beautiful food that was going to fuel my body the way I needed it to. On that point, I think that a lot of, well, I haven't, well, even though many of my family members and friends may think that I've had orthorexia in my journey with whole food plant-based eating and healing because you do you know become so hyper focused on it and I am obs- I'm I am obsessed with it but in a very good way, good way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm obsessed with food and sharing a whole food plant-based lifestyle with everyone which is why we're here listening to this yeah, that's it that's it one of the things what you're touching on now and I think is super important, which I learned from Chef AJ and I learned from um, Doug Lyle and Alan Goldhammer and some of the many, many people who've talked about this topic that people don't often understand when we've come from that calorie restriction way of eating and that carb avoidance life and the sad diet of most of Australians and British people and Americans and all those things is is that, like you say, you know, when we, we have those volume and nutrient receptors in our stomach and when we when we're depriving ourselves constantly, we're constantly chasing the dragon and wanting to get those high-caloric, high dense foods into our bodies because we want to flee the saber-toothed tigers and and we're never getting enough. You know, we're not getting the volume on those calorie-restriction diets to make us feel full, so we're constantly obsessing about food. And, and that is why we get into those states of being orthorexic and those more you know, food-addictive behavioural patterns and binging and fasting and all those things is because we just never feel satiated. We never allow ourselves to get the, the nutrients we need, just chicken breasts and egg white omelets for till the cows come home. Yes, <laughs> I've been there. I've been there <laughs> too. <laughs> and 
And we wonder why we're, you know, we're in this, people have all this thing about, oh, I've got no willpower, I keep failing. And you're like, no, you're not. You're just literally doing what you're biologically designed to do. Chase nutrients and chase and get that stomach full of that volume of food, except we're filling it with donuts instead of filling it with whole plant foods. And... And the cycle just continues endlessly. So I love that you're saying this because I think that it's a it's a message that people need to hear that this isn't a, another version of an eating disorder, restricting animal products and restricting processed foods. It's literally giving you control for the first time in your life where you can eat an abundance of plant foods that are nutrient rich that you can eat in you know in a volume that leaves you satisfied. It's the only sustainable lifestyle, diet it lifestyle really that is. exists. And that word abundance is what I love about it because I if I want to eat as many mangoes as I can, I can and I still feel great afterwards and I know that it's only doing my body well. I know that so many people in my life think that I am crazy for eating this way and they think that it's so restrictive and they can't ever see a way they would do it. But I I think they're crazy not for giving it a go and not for trying it because you don't know how good you can feel. The, it also takes away all that emotion that we have tied up in food because I don't feel any guilt or any shame in anything that I eat. And I know for a fact that so many people that I have in my life, they'll have that dessert and then they spend the next three hours hating themselves for eating that because they've gone off the diet that they were on or they've, or they've shown a lack of willpower because they've, they've eaten this food they shouldn't have eaten. And I don't, I don't have any of that. I don't have any negative emotion towards the food that I'm eating because I just don't want to put that food in my body because I know what it does to me and I know how it makes me feel. So why just eliminate the cause of it, eliminate those emotions altogether and start to have a really beautiful relationship with the food in our lives. It's for me, listening to what you're saying, and I think for most of the guests on this show, people think that this way of eating is super restricting and that it's... yes just giving up your freedom and why would you do that and why would you inflict it on your kids and, you know, whatever. Don't worry, I've been, been asked that one before. <laughs> but the thing is, for me, it's ultimate freedom and I think for most people we don't understand that we're prisoners to the food. We're prisoners. And for me, for being whole food plant-based is like my emancipation from a prison of food. I felt yes. like for <laughs> yes. my life, everywhere I went, there was all these foods that are hyper palatable. They're high calorie. They're just, they look amazing. They're colorful. They're chocolate cake drizzled in more chocolate, deep fried in pastry. And then they're, and you're like, oh, my God. And, you know, kids are like that too. Like, oh, my God, there's a smoothie with a donut with a cheeseburger on top covered in fairy floss, you know. And you want it. Your eyes want it. Your nose wants it. Your mouth wants it, you know. And I, before this way of eating, I would have wanted it and wanted it so bad. And, be, and, wanted, and, and three <laughs> wanted three of them and been hooked on it and been thinking about it all the time. But now it's just like it's removed all that noise from my life. I don't see any of that as food. But if you're listening and you're like, I still see all of that as food, 
I get it because it took me a long time to not see all that as food. But now I don't see it as food. I see it as food-like substances that are terrible for me. And so now when I go to restaurants, I don't have to have a struggle. Oh, should I get the cake? But it will break my diet because I don't see the cake as food. You know, I don't see the chicken, lemon chicken as food. I see it as dead pieces of hormone-filled, antibiotic-filled Yuck. Yep. chicken pieces. It doesn't feel like food to me, but that took a long time for me to educate myself about what happens to the animals, what that chicken's body's got in it, how it's got its own feces on it still and bacteria. You know, eh, I don't see it as food. I see it as gross, but I had to educate myself. And when I think about, you know, oil and donuts and pastries and all those things, it took a long time to read and research and to gather that information. That's why this podcast is a taste. Go out, get the books, get how to prevent prevent and reverse heart disease, eat to live. You know, there's so many, the starch solution, there's just incredible, the pleasure trap. You know, there's documentaries like Cowspiracy, there's documentaries like what the health forks over knives on net they're on netflix there's plenty more speciesism earthlings and once you start to put all those pieces together then they don't feel like food right now you might think oh that all seems like food but once you start reading listening to podcasts listening to ted talks listening to you know nutritionfacts.org with michael gregor talking about why these things aren't food, why they are destroying our microbiome, why they are destroying our health overall, why the countries that have the most affluence and eat the diets that have the most animal-based products, the most processed foods, America, Australia, England, you know, Europe, many parts of Europe, those places, why we have the most osteoporosis and we drink the most dairy and consume the most dairy why we have the most chronic diseases of anywhere in the world, why we have the most heart disease, type 2 diabetes. Diet is the number one thing that links us all because we have those in our food. And once you educate yourself on that, and once you educate what is happening to the animals, what is happening to the animals is affecting our oceans, our waterways, our forests, our, our climate. It's affecting the future of the planet for our children. Once you do all, put all those pieces together, it stops looking like food. It just starts looking like suffering degradation of the planet and just it's it looks like self-harm to your body i don't look at those foods as a I treat yourself i look at them as torture yourself i could not agree more with everything you have just Sorry. said they are not no don't apologize they are not treat yourself foods i have a massive aversion to any type of junk foods any foods that are processed and are unrecognizable of what the ingredients are even in them the whole concept of it's your birthday, treat yourself, have whatever you want. The whole concept of it's Friday night, it's the weekend, go out and let's binge on donuts and pizza and cake and ice cream. That is not a way to live and that is not a way to treat your body and yourself. You deserve so much more than that as a person. You deserve to feel well and you deserve to live a beautiful life. That is not how you're going to get that. And I think people get a lot of instant gratification from eating those foods because of the areas in our brain that they activate and they make us feel great. But the moment that you start to acknowledge how you actually physically and mentally feel half an hour after you've ingested it, two hours after you've eaten it, why put yourself through that anymore? And when you do start to learn, I've read a lot and learned a lot on our gut health and microbiome. That is something that I'm very 
very passionate about it's and love. It's very exciting, that. Emily. I'm it is thrilled. so exciting. It's such <laughs> we could an, have a whole episode about it. it. We'll have to. It's such an interesting concept. And when you start to learn about that and how your microbiome controls what you think and how you feel and then how what you think and what you feel controls your microbiome and it's just all connected through the vagus nerve and what we're putting in our bodies is literally feeding that. That's when you start to go, right, okay, that is not food anymore. That is not what I want to put in my body. That's not what I want to put in my mind. And that's definitely not what I want to feed my child Absolutely. <laughs> or my family. I like to simplify it for Iggy, and I'm sure I've said it before many times. So sorry if I've forgotten that I've said it before. But if you're a first-time listener, this is some new thing for you. <laughs> um, was just thinking, I always think because he likes – He's in that age of ninja warriors and superheroes. And, you know, he wants to be an inventor by day and a ninja warrior by night. So he's never, he's, he's never gonna he's never going to sleep. Dream big. <laughs> Dream big. So I always say to him, you know, when you choose those foods, because he still has a bit of well, vegan always, but some vegan junk foods because it's very difficult in mainstream school setting. I don't want him to hate me so we just walk this fine line of 90% whole food plant-based low fat and then every now and again I let him try the things that his kids at school have the vegan versions of those things but I'll say to him who do you want to win in this war in your microbiome do you want the bad guys to win because every time you put a donut into your mouth you're not that he eats, eats them very often I'm just saying he's had them before you're letting the, the bad guys are like, yeah, you know, this is awesome. And the good guys are like, no, you're killing me. Like the evil witch in The Wizard of Oz. I said, so, you know, you have to think about that. And he likes that. He's like, oh, I, I don't want the bad guys to win. It's just simple to think. Who do you want to win in this fight? Because the good guys, they want you to eat a carrot. The bad guys want you to eat the cake. That's exactly right. And it's a really nice way to picture it for the kids. I am excited when Hunter's a little bit older because he's nearly two. So he's a bit little to have that conversation with him yet. He he doesn't have any idea. He just eats what we give him and he loves the food that we give him. And he's on a he's predominantly whole foods plant-based, 100% vegan, has been since he was born. And that's something that I'm really thankful that my husband has always been on board with from the very beginning, which is great. So he's – my husband, um, just to go off on a little tangent, he's only just <laughs> – I was going to say to you about family and – people around you so well my husband's only just become vegan in the last four five months now uh, which is really really exciting and a huge deal it's a huge deal congratulate your husband from me me. that's it he's done a a really great thing for himself and for the planet and for the animals and everything and he was always supportive of myself being vegan and he was always from the get-go supportive of our son being vegan which i thought was amazing And then slowly he started learning more and listening more. And it's about, it's about unlearning what you've been brought up with your whole life. And that's a really difficult thing. And I was suffering physically. So for me, it was an easier jump to make. He didn't have all these IBS symptoms that I was having. He didn't have all these mental thoughts about food and was struggling with that. He just ate standard Australian diet, a sad diet and, but still felt okay. And So for him to make that switch took a longer journey for him. And I think that's what we have to be respectful of anyone else going down this path as well is that some people can do it overnight. 
Some people do it overnight, but go straight to the vegan junk food and the alternatives. And other people go straight to plant-based. It's just we're all doing our own thing at our own pace. And at times, I will definitely admit that was challenging for me with him because I was like, but we just watched this documentary. How can you want to eat that? And I'm like, all right, all right, just eat it. And maybe, maybe next time you won't want to eat it and we'll see. And eventually that's what happened. And he, he had to get there on his own and he's a hundred percent happy with the choices that he has made. And they haven't been forced on him by me. Yes. They've been brought to light by me because this was my interest initially and he's learned from me, but he's Sometimes he speaks and I'm like, you are more vegan than me. <laughs> Same with Ranjit now. What, do you listen to yourself? He's drunk the Kool-Aid. Exactly. <laughs> but it's really exciting to have him completely on board with that because I think at a time that we were both worried that with Hunter growing up, having one parent eating this way and one parent not, he wouldn't really know what he should be doing and where he would fit. Whereas now I think we all feel like we're a really strong family unit in type of what food direction that we want to go and how we want to be eating and living. But Michael was always very happy to be eating vegan in our house because I love to cook. So he loved the way I was cooking food. So that was never an issue here, which was really great. But I do know that other other people find that a real struggle when one partner um, is not so supportive and doesn't want to be trying that food. That can be really, really difficult. But my advice is just do you and hopefully they will come along for the ride. <laughs> that is great. And how have you found it with your extended family and socialising? I would say 95% of people have been extremely supportive, which is really, really comforting. Whenever we go to people's houses for food, so we, we go to my parents' house not once a week for dinner and we go to my husband's parents' house once a week for dinner. We, family is very, very important to us on those connections. And it's never, ever been an issue with what they've cooked for us, which has been great. So if they want to have a meat for the dinner, they cook meat and it's on the table and they eat what they want to eat and we eat what we want to eat. But they're always supplying us with an abundance of plant food whenever hungry, which has been really excellent. That's beautiful. I know there's been some questions about whether or not raising Hunter this way is appropriate for him and if we're putting our beliefs onto him too young and if that's the right path to take. But Watching him grow, and especially now at this age, I've never been more convinced that this is the best thing for him to do. And not even from a health perspective, even though that's my number one driver, things have definitely shifted more towards an ethical way. I think it's impossible for it not to when you learn the way that factory farming goes on, you learn what's happening to the animals and you learn the suffering that they are going through. I watch Hunter and I watch his empathy starting to develop I watch his compassionate side starting to develop more and more each day and I just look at him and I go you would never ever eat an animal if you knew what went into that process you you would never partake in that and I think I think as a society we've done a very big disservice to lots of children by not showing them what goes on and not allowing them to make up their own mind because I I really do believe that if you show them the process of what went on, which A, we wouldn't do because it is that horrific, but if you did show them, they would want no part in that. And I think that they are all born vegan and I think that we raise that out of them. I think we we culturally tell them that it's okay to be eating this way and that we condition them to start to see animals as a way of eating and a way of survival. It actually isn't necessary for that. And I, I had never thought about food that way until learning all this stuff for myself. And 
I you just go with this is what my parents did, so this is what's normal, and this is what we do, and it just is again another cycle that perpetuates itself. But ask questions, be curious, learn where does this food come from? It does it just really align with who you are and what you want your family to be like? And if any of those answers is no, then change it and don't do that, but at least have a solid understanding of where it's all coming from. Yes. <laughs> Simple answer. Yes. I uh, 100% agree. And I think that obviously we would never show them what happens inside a slaughterhouse until they're old enough to to fully understand it because their poor little souls just if my poor little soul can't hack watching that footage you know I have to watch earthlings through like my fingers half covering my eyes it's absolutely horrifying and and we don't and we don't know it and um I it's interesting I was listening to this woman talk I'm going off on a tangent, but this is you, you, it's topical because she was talking about a human humans like to make a a, a bad guy, you know, and we're the, we're the righteous one, and there's a, there's, a, there's a bad guy out there. For instance, pick any Donald Trump for for instance, or you know, we could say for it to be topical. And please don't write me a mean message about this because I don't want a mean message. But it just I'm not saying that these people who do who do terrible, terrible things, such as Cardinal Pell, which is why I wanted to bring it up. We have a – so he has – his actions have been hor- horrific and he's now in jail and I understand. But we like to say as humans that Cardinal Pell is a bad guy. You know, we're going to point him out as a bad guy. And Donald Trump, some, many of us, I'm not sure what you're aligned with if you're listening, but we'll say, you know, he's doing all these actions that we think are associated with with a bad guy. But – and it helps us feel righteous and good to have a bad guy to look at and point our fingers at. And with our children and with ourselves, and we, when we're when we're you know when we're living on this planet, we're always thinking about what Emily said and thinking about finding out where your food comes from, and you're finding out that you are paying for unnecessary, deeply unnecessary suffering, torture, and abuse of sentient being after sentient being after sentient being. Three meals a day minimum for most people, and then we you know we shop at Kmart, we buy clothes that are made by children in China, India, Bangladesh, Afghanistan. You know, we children's blood are on our clothing. You know, our cars, our cell phones. There is no innocent in this planet, and and the more you unpack those things, you know, I feel a moral obligation to try and do better constantly for our children and so that not so I can be self-righteous but so I can empathize it's very difficult in today's society to be free from evil you know free from contributing and participating unknowingly or unwittingly in terrible terrible evil now what Cardinal Powell did was absolutely horrendous but we are all we have all in our lives paid people to to torture suffer and abuse vulnerable people over and over and over and over people and animals over and over again and so sometimes it it, we have to take a a step back and think about our our actions and think about and and be more empathetic to everyone on their journey and say you know none of us are free from guilt and teaching our children how to show compassion how to make more sustainable ethical 
choices so that we can create a world that has less suffering to animals, less suffering to children, less suffering to the planet and the climate. Like this, this whole foods, plant-based way of eating, it does help you raise awareness that, okay, well, where else can I do better, be kinder, be more compassionate? How else does this diet affect people? Because healthy people are kinder people. Because when you feel sick, you don't make as good choices. You aren't as friendly. You're shorter with your family. When I was terribly unwell, I was angry. I was quick to react. I was quick to manipulate, to emotionally sabotage my relationships. I was quick to snap at people because I felt awful. I was tired. I didn't have time to process my thinking. So you're kinder when you feel better. You're more compassionate. When you have no mental fog, then you're able to educate yourself, to learn more, to unpack your conditioning like Emily said and sorry to ramble but I just think it's such an important topic when we're thinking about how to raise our kids and how to raise a future of the planet in a way that's sustainable in the long 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 term we need to think about all the ways that we we contribute to suffering on a global scale and how none of us have can say we have no blood on our hands when it comes to the way we've lived our life, the animals, children, and the planet overall. Now, what you were saying about your son before I went on my huge rant, because it's just been a bee in my bonnet. And as my, my dad always says, and I always say to him, if you don't want the bees to come out, stop poking my hive. <laughs> stop poking my hive. But with your kid, absolutely. You know, educating kids, it's so important because they are vegan. Like um, Gary Fal. Fel- What's his surname? Gary? He, I can't say. He made the <laughs> best video ever. That, that what it's called on YouTube? That's what. That's one of the videos that turned me vegan. It's an incredible video. You'll have to put it in the show notes, his name. Oh, Everyone will. Has to watch it. Gary F something. <laughs> Everyone listening, put it in the show notes comments for me. And I will put it in there too. But... He when he said, you know, put a a baby in a cot with an apple or a ba- a bunny. Who are they? What are they going to do? They're not going to, you know. No one drives past roadkill and goes, "Shit, turn around! I'm going to eat some of that." You know, like no. And I completely agree. But a, a wild dog would, you know, a crow would. Not true carnivores would swing the car around. Like, is that a fresh dead kangaroo? I'm going to bury bury my face in its butthole. <laughs> but we don't, you know. We don't. Nothing in us is in st- But if I was starving, it was zombie apocalypse time, perhaps. But it's not. There's a safe way up the road. Why am I eating a dead kangaroo's butt? There's no exactly. reason. And that survival argument is what everyone loves to come back to and say, you know, we've always eaten this way. And when we ate this way, though, back in the day, that is because we didn't have a choice. We actually would die. We had to do it for survival and put me on an island with no food and animals and maybe I would kill them and eat them to survive. But we don't have to do that. We actually have a choice and we're totally and utterly in control of what we put in our own bodies, what we buy from the supermarket, where we want our money to go and what we want to contribute to and what what our money is actually doing once it leaves our hands, what industries are we funding and who are we helping, what pain are we causing or what suffering are we relieving. We have that choice to make every single time we buy something and every single time we put food in our own mouths. And when you acknowledge that that you are now in control of that, first of all, it can be either really overwhelming because now you're the driver of that car 
but it can also be really empowering. And you can make those choices for yourself and for your family and you can help try and shed a light for other people to make those choices in their lives as well. But for me, it eating this way is so much more than just food. It, it did exactly what you said before and it allowed me to connect myself to our to the world. It allowed me to connect myself to my community more, to see how honestly what we eat impacts every aspect of society. And as much at the start, I found it really difficult because I was, I was really angry. I felt like an idiot that I didn't know this, know these things. I felt really stupid. And I, I don't think that I'm a stupid person. And I felt like I'd been lied to when I found all this information. And I spent, uh, you know, a fair amount of time being just really angry and pent up about it. And I, I think I allowed um, becoming vegan to become a, a bit too much about my identity at the start in terms of wanting to just, I had to share this information because it was such an injustice that this was going on. And, and a lot of people get their fire that way. And that's, that's totally fine. If you want to become an animal activist, do that. Like that we need people like that. But Definitely do it. I love you activists. Thank love you. you activists. What you do is amazing. But for me, I have realized that living this way was just, it allowed me to show up the best possible version of myself to all aspects. It allowed me to be a better mum. It allowed me to be a better teacher because I also teach primary school and it allowed me to be a better wife and a better friend. And it, it allowed me to connect with my environment in a way that I never, ever thought I would. I never would have considered myself an animal lover. I definitely didn't care about the environment. I mean, I wasn't out there littering, but I wasn't out there cleaning it up. That's for sure. And learning simply about where my food comes from has just made me feel alive in so many different ways that I didn't expect to happen. And I want to just bundle all of that up and pass that down to my son because if he can feel this way from from this age for the rest of his life and if he can avoid all the stuff that I've been through, my goodness, I would be one very, very happy mama. So that is all I want for him is just to have the best life possible. So, and I think this is one of the best places to start with what we put in our bodies and what we contribute to as a society. Absolutely. When I attended the first annual Nutrition in Healthcare conference a couple of weeks ago uh, with the lovely Lucy Stegley and the lovely Dr. Helene Rooks, who are the co-founders in Melbourne. It was wonderful. But one of the things that I learned there, which really struck me, there's been two times when I've heard one of the podcast guests that I, please, podcast listeners, let me know, because I can't remember who, who it is. It was a doctor. And at, at that conference, talking about that fatty fatty streaks are present in fetuses in utero of women who you know eat the sad diet obese women who are eating the sad diet and the other one was talking about six-year-olds having autopsies and already having the beginnings of cardiovascular disease and I thought you know we think that you know a food allergy like nut allergy you know no kids at school are allowed to have you know nuts at my son's school because of nut allergies same and but we don't think about what the hidden, the hidden, you know, and we had um, Gina Rose Burton was on episode 80 and she was talking about that she went paleo keto for her PCOS um, and she got rid of her PCOS and polycystic ovarian syndrome. Sorry, I'm just shortening it to <laughs> save time. But um, she was feeling great. 
she was thin, she lost weight, she her facial hair cleared up, she was feeling great, and then she went and she had the blood test done, and they were like, you know, wow, your cholesterol is super high, and her f- blood glucose, I want to say, where are you? I'm looking through my notes. Insulin resistance was terrible as well, but she on the outside looked really healthy, and so. You know, when you think about that, that on the inside we can look, we think our kids are okay because they, you know, they're fine, their body weight's fine, their BMI's good, they're running around, they're looking really healthy. But in, we don't. I wish we could see all the time what's happening inside our kids' bodies because we are setting them up for heart disease, type two diabetes, you know, many, many, many of the chronic diseases, and we're doing that from in utero which is just such a so much it's really really scary and as a teacher as well you see a lot of lunch boxes that come through and that often makes leaves me feeling very very sad um, because it's not an area that you you don't want to tell people how to parent that's not your role as a teacher it's also not my role as anyone's friend I mean you you parent how you want to parent I'll parent how I want to parent but oh my goodness please learn about the food that you are putting into your child's body because it's doing so much more damage than you can actually comprehend. And it might not be damage that you see now or tomorrow, but eventually it will all come to a head and you will see it and it will be able to stem back to the food that you put into their little mouth when they were little, when they had no control over it. And I think that is what's so important for us to remember is that what our kids eat is completely and utterly up to us. And you need to make good choices for them in that way. We've normalized sugar, we've normalized junk food, we've normalized these processed foods and there's nothing normal about them. And we've also allowed ourselves to tell us this story about moderation and balance and about how, oh, but it's just one Frodo frog at lunchtime, it's fine. And it's not fine, that is not real food. And we need to be educating our children and educating ourselves what real food is and allow ourselves to find the joy in a fresh pint of blueberries and not need to have all these hyper processed foods to get that sense of pleasure from our food because you can still get it from a plant-based diet i love everything i eat and i get an immense sense of joy out of the food that i cook it doesn't have to be from a packet to taste good I love that. You know, we have normalized and there is nothing normal about these foods and they're addictive. They're not food for our little babies. But in saying that, you know, that it's so difficult because when Dr. Renee Thomas was on the show and she was talking about the blue zones and she was talking about how the suburb over from over from Loma Linda, their difference in life expectancy is 30 years and yeah, 30 years. Literally, you just move a K away and your life expectancy drops by 30 years, which is horrifying. And, I, you know, I some, some people talk about this way of eating is like a affluence, affluent, only affluent white people can 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 do this. It's a pauper's diet. It's a pauper's diet. But the thing is, is that people have idolized this affluent Western way of living for so long and thought that, that that meant that they were on the way up. You know, lots of cultures have thought that, you know, when once we get McDonald's, that means we've made it, you know, we've made it in society. Not knowing that the way that they were eating was the was the right way. The traditional way of eating was the right way. And now they are, then they adopt diets like ours. Fast food, they've got so many reasons why it's such a struggle. But I do think that this way of eating, we know how you said that you didn't think that 
you at the moment feel like an activist, but this way of eating is activism. It's activism for you're a role model and you're showing people by the simple foods, you know, rice, beans, you're showing people in the way that you are, in the way that you're living, the people that you meet it has a ripple effect. And it's an activism for all those people, you know, the Indigenous in Australia who have short life expectancies, the Indigenous in America, all across the all across the world in all different countries where their life expectancy is declining as they increase their consumption of Western foods, high in saturated fats, processed foods, all of those things. You know, every one of us that speaks out about this has a ripple effect that go that that pays my brain is paused pays it forward <laughs> that pays it forward to other people across the globe who need to know that the way that they're eating is killing them they're a prisoner to food i love that you mentioned the ripple effect because i've done a lot of research i've just actually finished my positive psychology and wellbeing diploma which was life-changing and incredible and a big part of that uh, one of the studies we looked at was the ripple effect and how your simple choices have the biggest impact on those around you but they can actually affect people three relationships removed so your friend's friend friend will have an impact on what you were doing because it it ripples out and it's the same for so healthy choices have the exact same ripple effect for things like smoking and obesity So how you live your life actually affects other people in other families that you might not ever meet and it goes out. So the choices that you make are so powerful and they can have such a positive effect on society, but on the flip side, they can also have a really negative effect on society. So you you have such a big responsibility in a way to, to live your best life so other people can can live theirs. And I, I see that act, you know, happening in my own life when I've started making all these changes. I've got friends who have become plant-based because of the, because of me, which is amazing to see. And even if they're not fully plant-based, they're trying my recipes that I make and I upload. And I've got at my family dinners, Meat is definitely now a side dish. It's not the main attraction with a couple of vegan options there. It's everyone's honing into all the plant-based food and then there's just maybe a plate of meat at the end for a couple of people that want to dabble in that still. But it's getting it gets less and less, I swear, every time we get together, which just makes me very excited. That's wonderful. Because all you want is for your family to live long and to live well. You know, I, I don't want to live long if I'm going to be sick and be in aged care for 30 years of my life feeling awful. I, I want to live long, but I want to be agile and be able to move and be able to enjoy my grandchildren if I, I have the privilege of having any one day. You know, I want to be able to run after them like I'm running around after Hunter now and, and just feel this way for as long as I can. I love that. So before we hang up, because I know we have to cut yes. this off. Before we hang up, two things. Where can people find your delicious recipes? They can find my delicious recipes at my Instagram, which is at Emily Sonsi. And I've got two L's in my name, so don't forget that one. And also my blog, which is How do we spell your surname? Oh, S-O-N-S-I-E. Emily Sonsi on Instagram, everyone. Two L's in the Emily. That's it. There'll be a link in my bio to my actual blog as well which is exciting. And before you ask me your next question, I did just want to share that I went and got an ultrasound done last week <gasps> to see Please. if my polycystic ovaries would still be there or not because I thought what better time to find out because I may be able to share some good news on this podcast and they're gone. Ah! And yeah, 
And I'm actually blown away. I only got the results this morning at 9.30 and I have no more cysts on my ovaries, completely gone. I still don't have my period after having my son. It still hasn't come back. So I still have some work to do, but it might mean that I don't have to go on a whole lot of medication when we have our next baby, potentially. But I'm prepared if we do. Mentally, I'm prepared now. But it's very, very exciting because it means that all the changes are not just working for me mentally, but physically they're doing me a whole lot of good as well. That is incredible. How many cysts did you have when they first did this? I actually can't remember. I think a lot of the facts around that time are being repressed. No, (laughs) It's a really, really difficult time. So I can't remember, but they're all gone. And my iron levels are completely fine too because I had bloods done. And iron was actually something I used to struggle with as a teenager. I was on iron supplements on and off for many years completely fine and don't take any iron supplements and b12 is also completely fine but i do take a b12 supplement i just know people ask those questions a lot so i felt like it was cool to share i it is it's very cool thank you very much my last question emily would be what would be your three biggest tips for listeners considering taking on this lifestyle oh three okay um my first one is about being conscious and i think I'm going to be sneaky and I'm going to break that one up into two parts. And the first one is about being conscious of your own values. So really hone in on what's important to you. What are your values? Is it health? Is it family? What is part of your identity and who you want to be? Because when you know that, you are, it's so much easier to make good choices that align with your own values. So if health is important, then obviously you're not going to eat that donut or you're not going to eat that pizza because it doesn't actually fit in with who you want to be and the family that you want to raise. And then it's also about being conscious of how the food ends up on your plate. So we've spoken about that just before, but really watch, listen, read, learn as much as you can and become armed with information to share with people or to defend your choices if it comes to that with other people, but know about what you're doing and be conscious of those choices that you make every day. Three times a day, you have a choice to make a better a better decision and just be aware of what you're doing with that choice. I love that. Thank you. So my second one is about finding joy in simplicity, I think, because the amount of joy that I get from eating a juicy ripe mango or from cooking up a delicious roast sweet potato soup is something that I never thought I would experience. And it's just about going back to those basics. And I see that with my husband now as well, who I was watching him eat fresh blackberries the other day that a friend dropped over from his farm. And I've never seen my husband so excited (laughs) to eat a piece of fruit. And it was something that he's never experienced before either, but it awakened such a different sense in you so find the joy in food eat what you love eat what's going to bring you joy and that also means finding the joy in cooking cooking I think we perceive a lot as a chore and it can be something that is really enjoyed it's about providing your family with food and cook with love and I always tell my husband that it's extra delicious tonight because I put extra love in it and just make it make it fun and make it simple though it doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't have to be filled with those 20 difficult vegan you know, transitional food ingredients that we see out there and we don't know what they are. It's, it is beans, it is grains, it is veggies, it is plants, it's nuts, it's seeds, it's everything you know. It's nothing scary. So go back to being simple. Mm, I love that. Is that, are we, oh, is that three? 
Well, it's only two. I've got one more. Okay, give me your last one. They're the last all very one. good. And it's, it's been said on your show before, but I wouldn't, I'd be doing myself a disservice if I didn't say it. And that's about being kind. And that is my, it's such an underrated strength. And it's about being kind to everyone and the environment and the animals, of course, but it's actually more about, for me, it's about being kind to yourself and that self compassion. Because when you allow yourself to make a mistake, you can move on easier. When you allow yourself to learn, when you give yourself that respect that you deserve to feel well and you respect your body as much as you respect perhaps your child. I know a lot of parents will not let their kids eat the junk food sometimes, but then they'll eat it when their kids go to sleep or they'll eat it in secret. And it's, you obviously know it's not good. So why would you, why would you respect your child's body and your child's health more than your own? Because you deserve to feel just as good and you deserve to have that self-compassion and be kind to yourself. So treat your body the way you would treat your child's body and respect it and eat well. So be kind to yourself and, and everything else will fall into place. I love that. That is so, that is really, really wonderful. I think for lots of people, you're right. And I was talking about it just today in my cooking class. I was just saying to people, this is an act of self, self-love and it is, it's, like it is compassion to yourself, but it is when you when we eat those foods, it is an act of kind of it is basically an act of self harm when we put those foods in that we know are harmful. We know that they're no good for us. We know, and it comes from a place often where we just have you know most of the guests across the board who have come on this show who've talked about food addiction and binge eating and those types of things have all struggled with low self worth. And when we when we are in that dark place and we're depressed and we are filled with self-loathing, it's so easy to make those choices where we know are harming and just sabotaging ourselves over and over again and our health goals by putting in foods that we know hurt us and make us feel hideous. And so I think that self-compassion is a beautiful third tip to end on because I think that so many of us around the world are basically deficient in self-compassion. <laughs> I could not agree more. And it was something that I did not have up until probably even the last year, even though I'd gone on this journey of changing my food, I, I hadn't really started to have self-compassion towards myself. I was holding on to a lot of anger because I was holding myself responsible, responsible for the idea that I might not have been able to have my son because of choices that I'd made earlier with lifestyle and eating and medication, going on the pill for so long, et cetera, I was, I didn't even realize how much I was holding on to and how angry I was to myself, to my past self for those choices. And I have well and truly allowed myself to forgive myself for those. I, you know, you only know what you know at the time and you, you do the best with the information you have. And I've been able to put that to rest. And since doing that, the everything is better everything is better when you have self-love and self-compassion and when you allow yourself to just be who you want to be and you're free from judgment and you're not concerned with what other people think of you either that is a very very beautiful place to be where everyone should hopefully end up <laughs> yes I love I look it's beautiful and I, I just wanted to add on to that even though I'm adding adding on to everything but sorry if you're listening with the self-compassion, before when I mentioned about just the, just going back into the dark place, talking about everyone having blood on their hands, <laughs> is that we're all capable of being absolute 
you know, disastrous, monstrous humans, but we're all so capable of being wonderful, beautiful, kind. So don't don't get down in the quagmire of despair thinking, oh gosh, Corinne tells me that I've got blood on my hands and I'm a murderous monster. Like, of course, we all do. <laughs> yes, not a, not a nice thing to think about ourselves, that most things that we participate in have some ripple effect of nightmare for somebody else across the world that has different colour skin to us. But... But we also have such a great, great beauty, such beautiful hearts capable of such beautiful, beautiful things. When we all work together and we educate ourselves and we show ourselves self-compassion and kindness, that spills out too. And that spills out in such beautiful ways. Like every guest on this show is paying it forward in such tremendous ways with their family, their loved ones, their friends, their children, and the world in their own activism, in their own work, in their own embodiment of what it means to be a kind person who 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 fuels their body with beautiful nourishing plant foods thank you so much for being a beautiful beacon of light and coming on this show and talking to me today it was so lovely to speak with you my absolute pleasure it was a joy to speak with you as well Corinne thank you thank you Thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the show. Thank you all so much for listening. Please check out Emily's on Instagram at Emily with two L's in Emily, Sonsi, S-O-N-S-I-E. In Instagram, her link for that is in the bio in the show notes. So check that out and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please take the time to share this with your family and friends on social media or across the dinner table or in bed tonight or however you want to pass it on it's i'm so always so grateful so thank you again for listening and thank you for supporting this podcast and i will see you all next week bye